0: Welcome to the Graceway Weekly Message Podcast. At Graceway, our mission is to bring the future kingdom into the present, and we hope this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy today's message. I wonder if you've ever had an experience when you thought to yourself, oh man, the world is really a messed up place. I know that you get that kind of daily, but I wonder if you can think of the first time that you had that experience, or maybe a time that was especially poignant or problematic. For me, it was March of 1992. I was a freshman in high school. Some of you are older than me, and so you have your own times, maybe worse than mine, but maybe better than mine. We're not trying to compare brokenness right now. Um, my parents were in the process of splitting up. My world was feeling kind of on its head, unstable, a bit chaotic. I was a religious kid. I was attending church because my parents made me. Maybe that's some of your stories. Um, but I wasn't a follower of Jesus. It wasn't until a few years later that God would save me. And this was pre-internet. Some of y'all don't remember a time that this was pre-internet, all right? <laughs> the, th- things happened before the internet. This was pre-cell phone. Uh, I was talking to my wife last night about... People walking around those bag phones. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I was watching the news on a TV. Old school. And one, one night, um, a story broke about a man who had been, had been involved in an altercation that had gone terribly wrong and it had been caught on video. Now this happens every single day. We're getting all the buffoonery that happens in the world. But it, that's not how the world was at this point. This, this happened and I was watching this man be beaten on the street. The assault and the corresponding trial resulted in riots all over the city of Los Angeles, something else that I had never seen before. I'd never seen looting and rioting and people burning stuff down. I, I mean, now that's old news, but it wasn't, it wasn't then. The man at the center of the story, uh, a couple months after the incident, was interviewed. And in the wake of the assault and the trial, and uh, he, he said these words. He said, <laughs> He said, people, I I just want to say, you know, can we all just get along? (laughs) Can we get along? Can we stop making it, you know, making it horrible for older people and kids? It's just not right. It's not right. It's not. Please, can we just get along here? We can all get along. I mean, we're all stuck here for a while. Let's try to work it out. Let's try to beat it. Let's try to work it out. (laughs) And it struck me in that moment how... Hopeless, he sounded. It struck me in that moment that he was, he was asking for something that he already felt like he had the answer to. And, and if you followed May 1, 1992 and all the things that have happened, the answer to Mr. King's questions is no, we can't. We can't figure it out. And it feels oppressively hopeless if you think about it for long. We have a fundamental problem in this world, something is broken between us. I don't imagine I'm gonna get an email this week saying that you disagree with that statement. I think we all agree we got a problem. But today I don't wanna talk about how we can't get along, I wanna say why we can. (laughs) Don't you get tired of talking about how broken the world is? Wouldn't it be wonderful to just talk about the things that God's making right? It feels like we've stopped thinking that we can get along. It feels like we've stopped believing that it's possible for this aisle that divide us to be walked across, for these lines in our city, socioeconomic lines, demographic lines, sociopolitical lines. These are the things that keep us apart. I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about it. I think that it's even coming to the church. I think sometimes we just think that the church is just a fragmented group of people who have our own different experience. We just happen to show up in the same place. We're not really one church. We just attend church together. All the news, all the social media, and certainly this election year. You're going to hear that we can't get along, and you're going to hear why we can't get along, and I'm here to tell you yes, we can. I'm here to tell you yes, we can, and we must. You see, our reality isn't a new reality. The church at Ephesus, the church that Paul is writing to, would have looked around its world and its congregation and thought to themselves, how in the world are we going to get along? How in the world are we going to not just onboard the experiences that we're seeing on our version of the news and our version of social media and our version of what's happening in politics? How are we not just going to be overwhelmed by the oppressive angst and hopelessness of the fact that we just can't figure out a way to coexist on this little rock hurtling through the universe? And so Paul writes this message and pastors this church that he loves. But here's what I want you to see. There's no correction in what he said. He doesn't say, knock it off. (laughs) He doesn't say, do better. He doesn't say, try harder. He doesn't say anything about us at all. He literally simply only says, this is what God does. I told you at the beginning of this series that the book is divided into three categories, sit, walk, stand, We have to first receive what God has done. If we're going to walk in what God has done, let alone stand and defend what God has done. Ephesians chapter 2 is still in this category of sitting. There's nothing for you to do. There's nothing for you to accomplish. There's no effort for you to exert. You are sitting and receiving and understanding with crystal clarity. This is what God has done. Paul doesn't write to the Ephesians and say, do better. He looks to God who does better. It's important for you to understand that the church at Ephesus was profoundly diverse. And the Jews who attended the church at Ephesus had a history of generational division and content. We can talk about the Samaritans. The Samaritans who the Jews hated. It's the reason why when a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, who is my neighbor? When Jesus tells him the story of the good Samaritan, it would have melted that lawyer's face. What? A a Samaritan is the hero of the story? You see, Samaritans were a product of the Assyrian occupation. And the commingling of the Jews and the pagan Assyrians produced the Samaritans. And probably out of bigotry and probably out of shame, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They considered them heretics. They considered them half-breeds. They said, you aren't even fully human. And good Jews wouldn't even walk on Samaritan dirt. The most efficient way to get from Galilee to Judea was to go about 35 miles straight north, and a good Jew wouldn't go straight north because he would have to go through Samaritan soil, and so he would go east across the Jordan, parallel Samaritan land, and cut back in into the Holy Land, because these people are so messed up, I can't even get their dirt on my boots. You know, you think we got it bad in our country, and we do. But I haven't heard any Democrats saying, I ain't trying to walk on a Republican's yard. (laughs) Jews hated Samaritans. Jews Jews believed that that Samaritans were the worst of the worst, and Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero. And if it wasn't for the Samaritans, and as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans, they always had the Gentiles. Jews believed that God created Gentiles as fuel for hell. (laughs) Woo! Someone needs some counseling. Come on, somebody. The only reason God would create a Gentile is because hell needs some kindling. Wow. If you were a Jew and you married a Gentile, your family had a funeral for you. That's how much the Jews hated the Gentiles. That's how much the Jews hated the Samaritans. And this cultural divide... This cultural bigotry and prejudice and hatred came into the church. It came into religious worship. In the Herodian temple, the temple that we still know has the western wall. It's the last remaining wall of the Herodian temple. It had three courts, one for the priests, one for the men, one for the women. And then it had a lower court. Does anyone want to know what that lower court was called? It was called the Court of the Gentiles. And there was a literal wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court for the women, the court for the men, the court from the priests. It literally prevented any Gentile from getting into the presence of God. You you can't come. God doesn't welcome you. You're not wanted. And if a Gentile tried to make a break toward the presence of God, they were prosecuted as a common criminal or executed for trying to get into the presence of God. How is this happening that in the church, so to speak, figurative, cultural, literal, separation. Paul says it left Gentile Christians Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless to be told there aren't any plans of God for you in this place. It's the reason that he begins Ephesians 2 and verse 11 Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision the Jews which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you are at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What a desperate thing to believe that there is a God, to believe that you want to know Him and that you want to have a relationship with Him, but to be told by somebody, He doesn't want you and you're not welcome here. But listen, God was doing a new thing in this time. God was saving all kinds of people. People that Previously, people thought God would never save, God was like, oh, watch me. That God would never forgive, God was forgiving. That God would never redeem, God was redeeming. Even though there were plenty of reasons that people in the church would say, this is why we can't get along with them, the thems were turning into the us. The days were becoming us. The Those were becoming the we's in the church. And in Ephesus, a Jewish family would come come to church, and they would sit down in the pew, so to speak, and, and they would go through the first song, and Pastor Brandon's doing his thing, and that was awesome, that was so good, and they would turn to their right, and a Gentile would be sitting next to him. There's, there's a Gentile sitting right there. And in the next song, as they stood up, kind of turning their back to him, that Gentile would be worshiping God in the same way. And then they would look around the room, and they go, wait, and, and there, and there, and there's a Samaritan, and there's a Gentile. What is going on in our church? God is saving all kinds of people. God's doing a new thing. God's changing the way that we interact with him, and therefore the way that we have to interact with one another. Let me talk to you for a minute here. Maybe you're somebody that you've made a statement like this. I will never step foot in a church. <laughs> Maybe you said, I'll never step foot in a church again. You were raised in a church. And you're like, I'm never going back there. I don't care what the name on the title is. I don't care how phenomenal the pants the pastor's wearing. <laughs> Which is obviously true this morning. Maybe you haven't been to church for a long time and you have your reasons. Maybe during COVID, it kind of got shook up and you just kind of fell out of the habit. Or maybe you made some choices. Maybe some made some, you made some choices. Maybe you'd never been to church. Or maybe you had been to church, then you left. And you made some choices, and, and somebody dragged you here or bribed you here with some subpar lunch following this service. <laughs> and if you were completely honest, you're a little bit concerned that when you open the door and step foot on this holy tile, you're going to burst into flames. Maybe right now, you feel really uncomfortable. Maybe right now, you think, this place isn't for me. Maybe right now, you feel like, I don't think I'm welcome here, look at me. You're wrong, you are. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Anybody can walk into, it should be any church, but I'm telling you, it's this church. Anyone can walk in and receive welcome. We love you and we're glad that you're here. We know that God loves you. We know that God welcomes you. We know that God has grace for you. We know that God has plans for you. And we're glad that you're here. And don't look now. It wasn't that long ago since I was you. Being uncomfortable in a church, feeling like this isn't for me. And and God has done something new. God, God used God's people to welcome me in past walls and say, hey, yeah, you messed it up. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you might burst into flames, but we got fire extinguishers everywhere. <laughs> and we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. You see, I've been to some churches, and, and they, didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't welcome me. Listen, that was wrong. That was wrong. No church should ever have a list of people that aren't welcome No church should should say, oh, you're the one that's got to stay on the other side. Why why do I say that? Two simple words. Paul said it last week. But God. Listen, the reality of it is that everybody in this room in our own way, shape, and form are sinners separated from God. Some of us wrap it up a little nicer. Some of us look a little more respectable. Some of us are just putting it out there. Come on, somebody. Some of us just are doing our thing. Everybody in this room. No matter how long you've been at church, you were born into this world a sinner. But God loves you. But God invites you. But God welcomes you home. But God has plans. But God sent his son to the cross to die on that cross, to rise again. So there was no doubt that he was victorious. You are welcome here because you are welcomed by God. You are invited here because you're invited by God. You're loved here because you're loved by God. And how dare a church contradict God on people? Amen. Last week, Paul gave us two words, but God. Turn to your neighbor and say, but God. But God. Today Today's going to give us two more, but now. Turn to your neighbor and say, but now. But Turn to the other neighbor and say it again. 2 and verse 13, he said, Therefore, Gentiles, y'all remember what it was like to not be welcome. But now, but now, the truth is, we've all had this experience where we haven't been welcomed. But now, God is doing a new thing. Everything is different because Jesus came. Everything is different. Now, Now, the reality of it is, some of us haven't gotten the news. But remember... That God isn't talking about the news we've gotten. This is the news that God's giving. I'm doing something new. Everyone's welcome. The tomb's empty. I've changed your access to God, and because your relationship to God is different, your relationship to one another has to be different. I just want to read you through what Paul says. Paul, again and again and again in Ephesians, just takes a deep breath and then just does this long run-on sentence. And he does the same thing here in verse 13. I want to read it to you. I just want you to hear from God's word for yourself. I'm going to give you a little bit of commentary in between, but I just want you to let it kind of come over you so you understand this is what God does. Let me say it to you again. This isn't what we do. Paul doesn't write to the Ephesian church and say, hey, try harder to be more welcoming. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, hey, do your best to be unified. He says, no, no, God makes you unified, therefore be welcoming. This is what God does. This isn't what we do. As you hear God's word here, I want you to hear for what you're supposed to do. It ain't in there. Listen to what God does. In Christ, 2 and verse 13, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Where there was distance to God, now there's closeness. God does that. 2 and verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Peace isn't a concept, peace is a person. And I hate that we put it on coffee cups because we ruin it, okay? You can't have peace until you know God. You can't have peace until you know God. He is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, where all the lines are. Listen, you know in our society there are walls absolutely everywhere. You can't see them, but you bump into them. You can't see them, but you're kept out by them. We have an infinite laundry list of things that make it that we can't be friends because we agree on just this little tiny thing. God says, where there was a wall, now there's peace. Where where there was division, now there's unity. Two in verse 15, that he might create in himself one new, new man in the place of two, so making peace. Where there were two, now there's one. Where there was conflict, now there's peace. This is a wild thing. In a room this size, just look around for a second, okay, with with your eyeballs, okay? Stop looking at me look around, okay? Lots of different kind of people in this room. In most rooms this size, it's not possible for us to be one because we want to emphasize our differences. Jesus says, no, no, I take two and I make it one. I take 200 and I make it one. I take 2,000 and I make it one. I take an infinite amount of differences and I'm supreme over those differences. Doesn't mean you got to be the exact same. It means you got to agree on Jesus. Where there was a wall, a dividing wall, now Jesus stands in that place. 2 and verse 16, he reconciles us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Listen, where there was division, there's reconciliation. Where there was hostility, there's kindness. 2, 17 and 18, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Those of you who felt close, he's preaching peace to you. Those of you who feel far, he's preaching peace to you. For through him we both have access in one spirit through the Father. Where there was separation, whatever the reason you felt separated, now there's access. What an incredible thing. Some of us, we've grown up in a home, we felt religion. It's not a big leap for us to give our lives to Jesus. But some of us, doggone, it, man, we didn't. I didn't, this is this is like me moving to Mars and starting a new colony. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? There's a God. What do you mean he wants a relationship with me? I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. And God says, I preach peace to the near and to the far, and I invite them both. (laughs) You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Where it used to be strangers, where it used to be I go to church with them. Nope. now we're family. We're family. All our differences, all these different places, all these different preferences, all these different traditions. And God says, I'm not saying they aren't important. I'm just saying, let me be bigger than, than them. Two and verse 20, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone. God's building a house. The foundation is the apostles New Testament, the prophets, Old Testament, the cornerstone is the person and work of Jesus himself. This is what God is building. It is joined together too in verse 21. It's not multiple houses, it's not a compound of houses, it's not a village of tiny houses, no, it's one house. It's called the church. One body, one building, fitly joined together. It, 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 It fits because God is its architect. Two and verse 22, built together, here's the, here it is, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, When we're talking about unity, what are we talking about? We're talking about God building something so that he can be present in it. What do I mean by that? I, I mean, God's intent is to take disparate, difference, divided pieces, turn them into one thing, and then to put himself into the middle of it. God's presence will only be where unity is. Listen, this is the reason that there are certain places you go and you don't feel the presence of God but you do feel division because the two cannot coexist. This is the reason that you go to Congress and you go, God, God ain't in this. Nope, he's not. This is the reason that you go to certain parts of our city. God, I don't feel the presence of God here. Nope, you don't. This is the reason you go to some churches and you say, even though you got Church of God on the building, he ain't in here. It doesn't matter what you call it. Call it Church of Christ, call it First Baptist, call it Church of God, call it Grace Way. It doesn't mean God's in here because if there's no unity, there's no presence. So watch what's incredible about this. God seems to know that we, left to ourselves, cannot figure out a way to address Mr. King's question. Can we all just get along? Left to ourselves, what does history say to us? No. So God says... I'll do it for you. I'll come to to this earth. I will take on the form of a servant. I'll become a human. I'll do for you what must be done to build a house for me to live in. We call it the church. And God takes Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. God takes rich folks and poor folks. God takes country folks and city folks. God takes Democrats and Republicans. God takes Cardinals fans and Royals fans. God takes Chiefs fans and all the other losing teams. Right? Come on. God takes Baptists and Presbyterians, Pentecostals and Cessationists, people who believe in this version of the Bible and that version of the Bible, he says, here's the deal, y'all, here's the deal. (laughs) Y'all keep figuring out a way to divide yourselves. Let me just put you all together by the cross. Let, Let me just do that for you. And then because we tend to figure out a ways to rip apart what God is doing, God puts it together and then he puts us in the middle of it to keep pushing us back toward one another. This is the great irony of the gospel. Think about this for a second. That God uses the violence of the cross. The injustice of the cross. The grotesqueness of betrayal and accusation of wickedness with its mask off. God being brutally murdered by his creation on a cross. That's what he uses to create unity for us. You see, the cross shows us Satan's plans for the world. This is one of those times that God says, have at it, and that the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus, and that the will of Satan is allowed on Jesus. And when you look at the cross, you see that Satan's plans are only to burn it all down, baby. Listen, it ain't going to get better, because the God of this world has a medium, short, and long-term plan to burn it to the ground. There is no goodness in the God of this world. There is no kindness. There is no justice. There is no hope. There is no unity but God. But now. But now, church, in a rejection, don't miss this, please. A rejection of unity is a rejection of the work of God through the gospel. Lots of Christians Happy to receive the gospel for their eternal security, but don't understand that you can't reject unity and call yourself a receiver of the gospel. They're the same thing. The church doesn't get to say, we're a gospel-centered church. What does that mean? It means we got great doctrine, and when we die, we go to heaven. No. We're a gospel-centered church means we're a unified church. That's what Jesus died to accomplish. And because Jesus became a servant I can serve. You know, unity requires us to serve one another. Why I got to serve? Because my Savior served. Of course, of course I, I should be willing to serve you for the sake of unity. My, my Savior served me for the sake of my soul. Because Jesus was humiliated. I can be humble. I can say sorry first. I can go first. I can be proactive and unity. You know, why I got to be humble? Because my Savior was humiliated. Because Jesus died and rose again to defeat sin in my life, I'm forgiven. Listen, I'm forgiven. And the reality of it is, you're forgiven too. It's just a question of whether in faith you receive that forgiveness. Everyone in this room is forgiven by God. It's just a question of whether or not you place your faith in His ability to save you. Everyone in this room is forgiven, so you can forgive. Why I gotta forgive them? Because you're forgiven. You don't know what they did. You don't know what you did. You don't know what you did to God. You know the tip of the iceberg. Come on, somebody. I got to work hard to convince you all that you're broken and that you're sinful. And I'm only talking about the very tip of the iceberg. You're way worse than I can tell you. You're way more broken. And let's not even get started on how broken I am. But God forgave me. At enormous cost to himself. Jesus tells me to take up my cross daily. And here's what I'm here to tell you. When you're carrying your cross, it's hard to be hostile. I ain't got time to tweet out craziness because I'm trying to carry this cross and this sucker's heavy. Some of y'all got way too much time on your hands. You, you, got, you got way too much Drama in your soul. You don't know who you are. You don't know what God has done. You aren't doing what God says. And it's creating division in your life because you won't carry your cross. Can I tell you in the presence of God, when you, if you've ever been in a room where the presence of God fell, you ain't worrying about division. I ain't worrying about what I don't like about him or her or this or that or those or these. I'm just, whoo, whoo, whoo. Where the presence of God is, unity must be, and where the presence of God is, unity persists because the Holy Spirit keeps pushing it back together. This is the work that Jesus accomplishes on the cross. So I want you to take a minute right now, and I want you to physically, with your eyes, look around this room. Not at the person you came with, all right? Look around. Look around this room. Come on, make it awkward. Look around. These are the people that I go to church with. now. This is family. This is family, purchased by the blood of Jesus. What makes us family? The cross. It doesn't always feel like family, I know. That's because we keep trying to work things out that God's already done. We gotta start with what God says it is, not with how it feels to us. We receive this vision that God accomplished And prayed for. Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, I pray that they would be one. Father, I pray that when you make them one in the same way that we're one, that the world will see who I am when they look at. And here's what's a trip about this. Do you know that John 3.16 didn't exist when Jesus prayed that prayer? Do you know the New Testament wasn't done? Do you know doctrine and belief and Bible and all those things, they weren't a thing. The testimony of who God was, was us. Jesus doesn't pray, let's get that Bible done quick so people can hear Romans Road. (laughs) Let's make sure we get this New Testament accomplished so people can understand four spiritual laws. No, he says, God, I pray that the church will know who they are, that they'll know why I'm going to this cross, that they'll know that they are the joy that is set before me, that they know that I'm making them one thing so that the world can say, I can get all that other stuff out there, but I want what only God has done, and I know what God has done because I can see the church. I can see the church. Listen, as we make Jesus preeminent, as we put Jesus first, as we make Him most, we receive the work that He has accomplished and everything else. It doesn't mean it's not important. It just means it's not the most important thing. Can I tell you? I uh, I say this to you a lot, but but I'm completely sincere about it. I I love this church. I I enjoy this church, and I don't I don't. Even mean being the pastor of this church. I just, I, I like coming to church here. I like being a part of it. I, y'all have ruined me for the traveling that I got to do. Because I go to these other churches and everyone looks the same. I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> what is this? I'm, I'm uncomfortable all of a sudden, right? Yeah. I love the fact that, that in this church, we got people, you were born and raised in this church, you've been in this church for decades, and some of of you other ones, you've been here like 14 minutes. I love that some of y'all got all your theology and it's all put together, and some of y'all don't even own a Bible. I love that some of y'all are like dressed to the nines, not even the nines, like the 19s. Come on, somebody. And, And some of you aren't, okay? You know what I'm saying? But we're glad that you're here. I'm glad that there are people who are near to God and far from God. I'm glad that there are people who have it together and people who don't. I'm glad that there are people who are very comfortable here and know what comes next. What do I do with this bucket as it passes in front of me? And other people are like, why are they passing a bucket in front of me? I love coming to church here. But can I push it just a little bit more? My hope for this church, my prayer for this church is that when you step foot on this pavement that is our property, the presence of God hits you. Do you think the presence of God can be in pavement? (laughs) I do. I hope that you go through living in this world and the course of this world and that you feel the weight of this world ripping itself apart. And I pray you don't get mad, I pray you grieve. I pray that you don't criticize the world for being the world. I pray that you get a heart for the lost. But I know you come into this weekend and you're weary. You're weary from. Can we all just get along, man? Can we get along in this world? Can we get along in the city? Can I get along in my house? And I pray you get up on Sunday morning and you're going to have that moment where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to go to church. You're like, no, I'm going. And you know, as soon as you say, I'm going, your kids get demon possessed and start doing crazy stuff. You know, that's how it works. It isn't directly in the Bible, but it's heavily inferred, all right? You know, you can't find your keys and the coffee maker breaks. That's just how it works. It's called spiritual warfare, all right? And You make it into your car and you turn your car. Y'all shut your mouth. I got to get it, get it all sorted. And I pray you drive onto our property and you got all that angst and all that heaviness and all that weight bearing down on you. You get out of your car and you step foot on the pavement and something just comes over you. And can I tell you, we got Raytown pavement. There ain't nothing special about our our, our pavement. I'm talking about the presence of God and you can just exhale. You can just take a breath from all the striving and all the dividing and all the rat race and all the division and all the contention and all the Washington and all the election all the social media and you can just step foot on the pavement and that worship music comes out and someone's greeting you with a goofy sign and a dumb look on their face we're happy you're here and you can just take a deep breath you can walk into these doors and feel the presence of God welcome you. You can look around and look like nobody else. And under your breath, I pray that you say, it's good to be home. When God makes us that kind of church, and it's not if, because he already did, you'll be amazed who comes. You'll be amazed who wants to come to church here. You'll be amazed who God brings. You'll be amazed what God does. We'll see God save people that wouldn't even walk into a church. And they'll come here with a dazed look on their face, like, I got no idea why I'm here. We'll see God forgive the unforgivable, redeem what has been unalterably broken. We'll see God create a city on a hill that come every election year. It don't matter because this is home. It don't matter what y'all got going out here. God's doing something here, and we wouldn't want it to be any way other than this. Come on, raise your hand if this is the kind of church you want to be a part of. This is the kind of church that I don't want to be a part of. This is the kind of church I need to be a part of. In the same way I need it, the world needs it. Come on, don't fall for it this year. Come on, don't play along. Don't get sucked into it. Be a city on a hill. Be a breath of fresh air. Let God do something in you. God says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll make you one. I'll do something you can't get anywhere else. I'll blow your mind, because that's what I do. Come on, raise your hand. Let's pray together. Jesus, make true what you came to do. Make true, Jesus, in Graceway and in Kansas City, what you say you came to do, you came to save the lost, you came to raise the dead, you came to make the divided and the different, the antagonistic and the contentious, gladly one. Lord, bring the future kingdom, every tongue, tribe, and nation, make us one before you. Bring them into this place, into these walls. Nothing special about these walls. They're just brick and mortar. But God, we want your presence here. Unify us by your presence, with your presence, to your presence, for your glory and for our joy. And in the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Amen.